Hi guys and welcome or welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Indira and today I'm joined by Baz Moffat. Baz is an ex-GB rower and one of the co-founders of the Well HQ and the Female Body Bible. I hope you're listening carefully because today we discuss the essential topic of the female athlete health crisis. We cover some of the vital topics within this, including some I'm quite sure you won't have thought about or heard about yet. So, make sure you are listening carefully. But before we get into it, please be sure to give this a rating and review if you've been enjoying the show or it's helped you. Less than 1% of listeners are leaving ratings and reviews, and it really helps me to keep giving you the content you want to hear. Okay, thank you in advance and to the episode. Hi, Baz, how are you? And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I am very well. Well, that's great to hear. And so let's dive straight into it. Can you briefly introduce yourself and the Well HQ? Yes. So um, I'm not a runner, but I I have run. I have run in the past. Um, I was a rower by trade. So I was on the British rowing team for four years. Um, Part of that elite system, 2004, 2008. Um, And then after finishing my rowing career, I became a personal trainer and did lots and lots of different, trained loads and loads of different types of clients, had a couple of children and got really, really obsessed and fascinated with pelvic health, uh, which I know I'm going to force you to talk about on this podcast today. and when I started working in pelvic health, I got um, most of my clients were pre and postnatal. But then as I started to get established and ex- more and more experienced, actually, that age range really spread. So I went from pre and postnatal, uh, menopause, perimenopausal. But then also I got this like group, this a really significant number of young women that have never had children and were physically amazing, either crossfitters, runners, uh, netball players who were experiencing significant issues with their pelvic floor. And I kind of helped and supported them carry on doing their sport, but without the fear of leaking or the irresistible urges to empty their bowels or their bladders and all that kind of stuff. But we'll go into that in a second. And then after, and I kind of did that and I loved it, but I just couldn't quite believe how little information women had about their bodies. And I was like, what I am teaching you feels very very basic it doesn't feel like I should have you know I should have a degree a master's been on the British rowing team for four years like I generally feel what I'm giving you is pretty basic level information surely there's a better way of getting this across and that's what kind of really inspired me to start creating and developing a much bigger platform uh, with my co-founders Dr Bella Smith and Dr Emma Ross and that's what launched The Well and the purpose of The Well is to educate everybody working in sport about the female body, um, which everyone goes, yeah, that's a great idea. And it's quite amazing that we're nearly in 2024 now and no one's done it, but that's what we are attempting to do. Absolutely. Much needed work and the work you've already done is absolutely incredible. So yeah, make sure you are following the Well HQ guys, you're checking out their content. And in terms of that, from the work you've done so far, what would you say if you had to pick out one thing has been your most significant finding in terms of, you know, the work you've done through the well? Um, gosh, that's a huge question, yeah. isn't it? I think that the, the the significant finding is that women don't know about their bodies and coaches have no education. So you as standard, so you can become a PE teacher, you can become a sports coach you can become a personal trainer and the set the sector the system the industry says yep you're qualified you can get insured crack on and do your job and nobody will have taught you anything to do with a female body and and that was never seen as a problem but I don't know if you've noticed I have absolutely noticed over the last few weeks story after story after story coming out in the press of women broken by sport and you're like right why and and lots of different sports like not the classic stories and you're like so these women are being broken because how they have been trained the messaging they have been given has not been fit have not suited their physio their female physiology or psychology and that I think I genuinely feel we are we are in a we're we are walking into a minefield right now as to like where how are we going to navigate this because you can see that the messaging is very quickly going to turn into sport is bad for women because you've got all these these stories these athletes saying 
I've been broken. I'm infertile. I've broken my ribs. I've got concussion and I've got brain, I've got brain, you know, my, my, I'm depressed. I'm anxious because of all the concussions that I've had. Like you have, uh, you know, I'm doing irreparable damage to my body. Like all of that messaging and suddenly you'd be like, well, and that's, we need to be really careful how we're navigating this space because actually it, from our perspective, it's because all of these women have been trained like men and their female, the female elements of their physiology has not been taken into account. So for me, that's, that's the, that's where I feel we're at right now with female health in sport. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's just dive straight into this. There's a couple of topics we're planning to cover in this episode, guys. So we're going to be looking at pelvic floor health, breast support we're going to touch on some fueling red s kind of information training and so let's kick off with pelvic floor oh thank you thank you get it out of the way <laughs> first of all baz why should my listeners keep listening they should honestly pelvic health it's it is a massive issue so the official numbers are that uh, one in three women will suffer with pelvic floor issues which is basically leaking uh, but as but that is a massive underestimate. And when you take in impact, landing, jumping, twisting, turning, the numbers go through the roof. So the highest prevalence rates are in gymnasts and trampolinists. They will have 80 to 90% of gymnasts and trampolinists will be wetting themselves during training or competition, right? And so that is, you can you can see why, right? The impact that they are going through is huge. Now, if you talk about runners, it depends on, you know, if they're sprinters, if they're um, cross-country runners, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, I I imagine, and it's hard to say because there's very little research done in this space, around 50%, let's say as a global figure, around 50% of people will have an issue. Um, some of some people will find that at different stages of their cycle, they may have a be more likely to leak. Some people might find in winter, we're going into the colder months now, they might have greater urges to empty their bladder when they're out running. Sometimes at certain times of your month, you might have an irresistible urge to do a bowel movement when you're out running. But at other weeks of the month, you might be totally fine. Um, when you're running downhill, people might find that they're leaking, but uphill is fine. Um, all of these things, it is, I, I promise you that I'd be really interested to hear like from your listeners, if they are brave enough to talk to you like, yeah, like I do leak and I do have problems with it because it is an issue. And I genuinely feel it's the it's the last taboo. There are lots of taboos. We haven't sorted everything out, but it is it is the last taboo in female health. And it's something that we're just very uncomfortable talking about because it's poo and wee and it's embarrassing. And, you know, you said to me, most, you know, many of your listeners are really high performing athletes and very serious about their sport. It's embarrassing to admit that actually, regardless of how quick and fast and committed you are to training, you can't do some. You're struggling with something that's seen as pretty basic, um, and so that's why that I that's why I love to talk about it at any opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I love that that phrase, t- the taboos of the of female topics. I mean, we've sort of busted red s periods mm. out there a bit, but this is definitely that kind of underdog for sure. And so, yeah. if you could maybe in in less than a minute give us a rundown on what are the sort of signs and symptoms of issues with the pelvic floor or how does this manifest yeah so leaking is the obvious one so so essentially the pelvic floor is is a muscle and it's supposed to keep you dry that's its job so it's supposed to keep you dry when you want to be dry and it's supposed to be able to relax and let go when you want to go to the toilet and it's also uh, helps with sexual pleasure as well but if we focus on the first two Regardless of whatever you ask your body to do, it should be able to resist the pressure. So resist the impact from your legs and landing, jumping and resist the pressure from above, from laughing, coughing and sneezing. And so the more fit and active and and, uh, the more active and exercise you do, the the stronger your pelvic floor has to be. Now, in some athletes, the pelvic floor actually can get too tight and to and 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 is unable to um to to move and and coordinate itself as you'd expect and the other thing it's supposed to do is to be able to fully relax and let go so that you can fully empty your bladder and your bowel when you go to the toilet and in some cases athletes can't or women can't go they'll go to the toilet and then suddenly they need to go again and they need to go again and they need to go again and it's because they're not able to relax and let go so the symptoms are leaking when you want to unable to fully relax and let go um constipation is a, is a huge issue which many uh, young many women suffer from and any pain 
any dragging feelings in your vagina, any pain in your vagina, any bleeding when it shouldn't be bleeding is stuff that we should be going to get medical help and support on. Okay. And what are some of the effects or impacts in leaving these situations untreated? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. And I think that um, the amount of headspace that this takes up in women. So if a woman is worried about leaking or worried about going for a run and really needing a wee, she will be toilet mapping. She will be like, her life will be mapped with like, where are the toilets? Um, She will often women self-manage and they self-manage by wearing black which is not too much of a problem that's why black's the most popular color they wear black they um uh they might wear period pants or sanitary pads to kind of absorb any of the leaking again not really a problem it's not fixing the fixing it's just it's kind of helping them carry on doing their sport but a more serious one is they stop drinking they stop so if you're um going for a run club in the afternoon or the evening you might stop drinking at lunchtime which is which is a false economy. Like it's not how our body works, but it kind of rationally makes sense that what goes in comes out, but actually that doesn't work. So those those don't really fix the problem. Um, and also the implications are that it stops your enjoyment of sport and it takes up so much headspace. So if you're going to an event, you know how much effort you've put into your training, how much effort you've put into your psychology and your nutrition. If all you can think about is have I have I got access to the toilet? Have I gone to the toilet? Like that you're not in a great headspace. <laughs> and and so that's why actually un- knowing that you should be in control of your bladder and your bowels, it shouldn't be in control of you. And I think for many athletes, um, that's something they really struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Full control of your body, guys. And toilet <laughs> toilet mapping is definitely not something you can rely on at a race and definitely in running anyway. You know, those port loser unreliable at the best of times and so if we look to if someone has got a problem with their pelvic floor or they're struggling with it what ways can people one take action to fix these problems and also from a mitigatory point of view what can people do to potentially prevent these issues occurring okay so all of you so some of you will be doing your pelvic floor exercises whilst you're listening to me so stop doing that just just because we can't hold on a pelvic floor for, for hours and hours but every woman like from I don't really know how old you are, but let's say from your early 20s, every woman should be doing their pelvic floor exercises just just because you've got a pelvic floor and you are sporty. And it's a really good way of you understanding that part of your body. And there's a really good um, app that's called Squeezy app. It's like three pounds. It's an NHS app and it's two and a half minutes every day. And you just kind of start it on your phone and you'll do 10 connections and then 10 quick contractions and you're done. So everyone should be doing that every day. And that's kind of like, you know, the, the the prevention, not the cure. If you are experiencing issues, I would say do your squeezy app twice a day, right? So do it, do it not once a day. Once a day is if you've got no problems at all. Twice a day if you have got problems. If after three or four weeks, like nothing is changing and you're still like, oh, I don't even know if I'm doing these exercises right. I don't, I don't, I don't notice any different. Like you need to go and book in with a women's health physiotherapist. Um they theoretically are on the NHS and they, the ones on the NHS are fabulous and brilliant. Getting access to them is a massive issue. And if you rock up as a runner and say, well, I leak a little bit when I run downhill, that's not, that is not going to tick enough boxes to get access to these, to get, to get access to them on the, on the NHS. So, but there are brilliant private clinics. Um, go on the, on the squeezy app that I've just talked about. There is a directory of women's health physiotherapists and also on the POGP, which is the physiotherapists of OBS and Gynae. Um, there is a, a list of very good women's health physios and you would, it's every runner should go and see a women's health physio. They will do an internal exam. So it does involve you uh, having a vaginal examination. Um, but then they will teach you how to do your exercises and they will they will be able to say, oh, actually, your issue is, is that your pelvic floor is too tight. Or your issue is that your pelvic floor is really weak. So we need to work on this. And this is how I this is the position that I need you to do your exercises in. They will never, or they should never, unless you're in a really, really bad place, they will never tell you to stop running. Right. So do not worry about that's a real fear of people that like I'll go and see someone and they'll tell me that I need to stop doing what I really rely on and love. There are so many like brilliant gadgets brilliant support that you can you can use and wear and and a good physio will kind of work with you to say okay like how important how significant are these symptoms 
Can we work around your running training? Are there things that we can adapt? Um, and they'll really understand like how important yeah, your running is. Um, and that's what I used to do as a, as a coach. There was only one time, there was a one time when I, when I had a really hard conversation with a marathon runner, she just had a baby and her pelvic floor was in a real mess. And, and she was attempting to get a PB in her marathon. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I don't think we can do both. I don't think we can maintain the amount of training and running you need to do to, to, to get this PB and to get this time and also help your pelvic floor. So you need to make a choice. Like we either go pelvic floor for three months, you can still run and you just can't do the mileage that you're attempting to do and the intensity you're attempting to do. And we had a really good conversation and, and, but, but generally speaking, um, she she was a and I you know I've worked in this space for years she was an exception as opposed to the rule yeah absolutely and I'll be sure to link down below those references that Baz gave yeah. so if that's something you want to check out definitely go ahead and do that and so yeah. if we now move on to breast support so why is why is it so important to support your breast as a woman well you do you know do you know our famous statistic I'm sure you do that if if you aligned it, I've never run a marathon. I've done ultra marathons and I've done half marathons, but I've never done like an actual marathon. But if I chose to do a marathon and I lined up at the start of a marathon and I had an avatar, my a clone of myself that was exactly the same as me in every single way, apart from my clone had a well-fitting sports bra on and I just had a normal fitting sports bra on, my clone would finish a mile ahead of me, right? And that, doesn't matter if I've got small boobs or big boobs. It doesn't matter if I'm a five-hour marathon runner or a two-and-a-half, three-hour marathon runner. It's irrelevant. You, Your clone in a well-fitting sports bra will finish a mile ahead. Now, that's amazing. And and the the technology of sports bras, the, the sports bras are brilliant. The sports bras out there are brilliant. We don't know how to fit them. Like, that is the problem. Like Women don't know what to do. Um, bigger breasted women um, t- tend to wear two bras or like they, they kind of, they really struggle to find the support that they need. They can seem as really expensive and you're like, I just don't know. So it's like, I don't really know which ones to get. And also they're marketed for how they look. And, and it's still like pictures of cleavage, pictures of straps, like pictures of it. The focus is on the aesthetic as opposed to the functionality of the sports bra. So the sports bra is really, really important. And um, we work with a company called PB, which is P-E-B-E. Um, and they do online bra fits, free online bra fits. So like your, um, you know, your athletes, the people listening to this can just book in for, uh, you can do it at home. It's brilliant. So they, you know, you'll stand there in a bra, your sports bra. And, you know, you'll get you to jump around and do whatever you need to do. And they'll say, oh, how does it feel? What are the issues? And then maybe you have two or three sports bras and they'll just work out for you what is your size, which is really important. And then, you know, you'll know like which bras you should be going after. Um, And it's a and I think for the developing breast, for girls going through puberty, having this conversation with them is really, really important because many teenage girls, won't wear sports bras they don't like to get changed at school if they're into a sports bra so there are new um there are you know pb again do a um, a sport a teenage bra for the developing breast um and they also do one for the you know for, for more developed breasts um so yeah it's just it's it's important because our breasts are not supported they're just fatty lumps on the front of our bodies and they need to be contained because they 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 affect our our perceived exertion so our perceived rate of exertion they affect our stride length they affect our fatigue they affect so much which is what all contributes to that mile over a marathon um and yet there's so little education i mean we would absolutely love to get to the point where you know when you go into a sports shop and you try and from a pair of trainers you'll jump on a treadmill how cool would it be if you could do that with a sports bra and you could like get your sports bra on and run on the treadmill and you could go and, and actually if there was an expert there to say oh yeah like that's better that's better or actually why don't you choose this one like so we can actually sort of try before we buy would be amazing wow no that's I mean it's just incredible to hear and the difference it can make over a mile especially things such as perceived exertion especially yeah. I would imagine that has a huge impact on on your run I mean I know personally I've stopped my runs on many occasions to readjust my bra straps and stuff and it's just not comfortable if things aren't tight and so what are the key things that people are looking for in one a good fitting sports bra and two what are the key ta- telltale signs of a bra which is just not not doing what it should be 
so a bra shouldn't have a birthday, which is real, really annoying because you're like, what? Like they're so expensive. Like, are you sure? Like, so they shouldn't. They shouldn't have a birthday, but you know, for most most of us, they do. And um, the the it should fit well. So the straps, your strap shouldn't come up more than a couple of centimeters. Like if you if you kind of put your fingers underneath them and pull your straps up, they shouldn't come under. They couldn't um shouldn't come up more than a couple of centimeters. Whereas actually, if you're wearing those crop top kind of bras, you can really ping those quite high. Your whole breast should be covered. So even though um on the pictures it might look like women have got cleavage and they've got like top boob kind of like spilling out. Like your whole breast should be covered, like the top of the breast and the sides of the breast should be should also be covered. The underband is really important. So that should be flat on your body. And again, you, you if you put two fingers underneath, you should only be able to pull it out ever so slightly. So it shouldn't be able to kind of like ping in and out for you. Um, and then it's the straps. And I think it depends on what size chest you've got as to whether you wear a cross back or you wear the straight straps down. Um, as, and, it, and it should be it should be comfortable. And it shouldn't when you take your bra off, you, your body shouldn't be covered in marks so you shouldn't have like marks of like the straps digging into you um yeah so those are the main points to look for okay brilliant and I mean definitely interesting to hear about the no birthdays I know probably time for me to chuck my bra over five years ago away <laughs> and and so in terms of I guess the impacts for those with smaller breasts versus larger breasts you mentioned how it impacts everyone equally are there any things that you see specifically people with larger breasts struggling with and then people with smaller breasts struggling with? I think um, larger breasted women often struggle to find a bra because if, especially if you've got like a small sort of chest size, so they're kind of like around your ribs. If you've got a small chest size, but you've got a large cup, often that's a really difficult combination to work with. But it's really common for women to be that shape. Um, they 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 will have more bounce. Their, boot, their breasts will move more. Um, and so they're often in quite a lot of pain and discomfort. Now I know that, and you kind of go, so they will all often self-select themselves out of sport because it's just too uncomfortable. It's not because they're physically not capable, but you know, the classic aesthetic of a runner is small and tiny and lean and small breasts. And that's the same in many sports. And I do wonder if it's mainly because like the yeah you know, we we've done such a bad job at, at breast support so i think that you know, the larger chested woman often you know um dr bella and she says this publicly says that it she would rather run barefoot than in a bra that doesn't fit her like it was like that is the most important piece of equipment for her is to have a really well fitting sports bra so i think that's you know for, for the larger chested woman that's that's the issue and i think for the the smaller the smaller breasted woman it's um I suppose they underestimate the impact that their their breasts are having on their movement efficiency, on their gait, because our breasts move in figures of eight. So it doesn't matter how small your breasts are, they're still moving. And and it's it's a it's it's weight on the front of you. So again, that needs to be contained. So I think that it is a it's it's an element of performance that we need to be taking into account. Yeah, definitely. And so you mentioned there kind of that classic lean smaller typical mm. image of say a runner or an a female athlete in a lot of sports do you think that that's something which has got some mileage in that it's perhaps got some benefits to the performance or do you think that primarily that's something that women have forced their bodies to fit into that box and women who don't fit that that kind of image have left the sport because of well, what are your thoughts yeah. around around that I mean I think it's both isn't it I think that we um yeah I know that from rowing, there are there are girls and women that are naturally the size and shape that they are, and they're, and they're very very healthy that shape that shape and size. But then there are a number of women who are forcing themselves to be that shape and size, and they are very very unhealthy. Um, and I think that um, uh, also with it because because weight shape size is very tangible. Like we can all you know, coaches can do body comp, they can weigh, they can measure, they can like they can see. It's something that is. And they can compare um, it's some and track it. I think it's something that is is very popular, and 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 it's something that when, but but I think we've kind of lost the why. Like why, you know, you might have a database saying that to run a certain time, you need to be this this weight shape size. So I know that when I was rowing, they were like, all female gold medalists are one eighty one and seventy five kilos, and it's like okay, and you know, for a runner, I know 75 kilos sounds like a lot, but for a rower, that's very normal to be 75 kilos. And you're like, okay, so like, 
I was, I sat at 72. My friend sat at 78. I'm like, I naturally sat at 72. Like to get me up to 75 was like really hard work to get her down to 75. That was not going to get us a gold medal, but that was their obsession was that kind of like, boop. And there are still coaches that kind of say, no, this is the way, this is your race weight. This is what you need to do. The Emma Hayes, who's a football, who's an, the amazing football coach at Chelsea Football Club. She's, we're losing her to the US soccer team. But she said, this week, it was off the back of um, a footballer called Fran Kirby that came out and said, I get fat shamed all the time. Like, I have my photographs taken and everyone is commenting. Like She's an amazing footballer, but like all anyone bo- is bothered about is her is how she looks. And we have to be careful about, we have to be so careful with girls and women, like so careful. It's like, if you decide they need to be a weight shape size, when are you doing that measuring? So if, if if they say, right, we measure you on the first Sunday of every month, or we measure you on a Tuesday, or we measure you like at the start of the season, we know that girls will stop eating, drinking, like they will doing they will do everything to get to that weigh-in. And then often it's then the start of a massive training block. And so you're going into a training block like in a really bad place. And girls will then just vote fo- that they will be so focused on on their on their calorific intake, on their and the, and it's just absolutely toxic, toxic, toxic environment. Um, I was at a conference at the um at the LTA last at the at the tennis association, the National Centre last week, and they have just done some research in um very young tennis players, and and it was about and there was one and they used a, a, a brilliant way of sort of measuring the calorific needs of these tennis players. One of the girls was twelve years old. She was fifty kilograms. Her, calor- her daily calorific requirements were 4,000 calories, right? And it's like, he's like, we were absolutely, and that was her going to school and doing her training. That was not like doing Wimbledon. That was like normal everyday life was between 3,600 and 4,000 calories a day. And again, there was a um, there was a, an article yesterday on the BBC from uh, about a rower called Hannah, Hannah Scott, who's just been... Um, diagnosed with osteopenia because her rib broke in two during Henley this year and she's been diagnosed with reds as a rower I know because I know people that train with her she's now been told to eat 10 bananas a day and when she goes to when she goes home after training she has to have five crumpets it's like that's insane amounts of carbohydrate and she's like I am going to get fat there's no way I am like I am comfortable eating that amount of carbs like the doctor's like you have to trust us this is going to be fine this is your energy requirements like you and she's like and she's like I can't believe I, I've not put on any weight I've not put on any fat I'm, and I feel amazing like I I have been I've been starving my body for years and years now obviously that's in the elite system where they've got huge amounts of support and they can work they can measure and they can have really responsible conversations but I think as a society we have I would love to not weigh athletes not not body comp athlete, not body comp athletes, not not measure them because I don't I just don't think it matters. I just don't think it matters. And I think we've just we we all believe it does, but I don't I think the the um the consequences of doing it outweigh negatively the potential gains. Yeah, no, very well said. And it's so true. I mean, in every situation for every outcome, there's a huge range and variation in the variables which contribute to that. And I think to some extent within the sporting world, it's common to focus on, say, weight or or, or body image that can become a real focus point. But it's like, OK, maybe it's one factor to some extent or has some influence but there could be a hundred others so why aren't we focusing on the other 99 just as much and it's the you know it's the lighter is faster right but it's faster for a moment it's faster for a season it's faster for a race and and we have to stop destroying women in sport we have to and we have to take as as serious the conversation that's happening in concussion in football and rugby right now where actually it is no longer the player's choice to be removed from the field of play so if you went on to ask a player after they've been knocked out like oh, i've only got 10 minutes left like how are you he's like oh yeah no, i'll be all right i'm fine the doctor takes them off it doesn't matter what the athlete says they're off the pitch and then they are given a really clear return to play guidance because we have we know the consequences that concussion has on brain health. Like we have to be as serious as the consequences of reds, of losing your menstrual cycle for life. Like it's, we just do because it's, it's like, because the, you know, it, who cares? Like genuinely, and I know this is like a really, but 
you can't that how fast you do you run something like that cannot outweigh like your life and I think it's the you know there are too many women right now who are having osteoporosis osteopenia in their 40s and 50s because they didn't start their period or they had an ovulatory period or they lost their period for years and years and and you can't get that back and that's what we and I but I we are so far away from having that messaging because you'll rock up at races and a tiny little girl will win or, win or a tiny little woman will win you'll be like well, if I, if I lost a little bit of weight, like I reckon I'll be, I, I'd be faster next time. And I think it's going to take a long time to change the culture. Yeah, no, 100%. I think it's so important as well how you do acknowledge that, yes, lighter can mean faster, but it is so temporary. And so many athletes, we care so much for our bodies in terms of making healthy lifestyle choices. But doing this is it's the same as, you know, sniffing a few lines of cat every night, I suppose, you know, you wouldn't do that because you know what it will do to your body. So why is this any different? Yeah. And, you know, you look at Eilish McColgan, who I really like, and I think she's really inspirational in this space. And yes, you know, you look at her and if you didn't know her story, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, she has problems. But she doesn't. And she she has her menstrual cycle and she celebrates her menstrual cycle. And it's that how amazing would it be that like, because we know the menstrual cycle is a vital sign of health. So if your menstrual cycle rocks up, you are doing a brilliant job. Like it means that your your energy back, you are in energy balance. You're training enough. You're eating enough. Like you're recovering enough. Like you're. It's just sign that you're doing a great job. And how amazing would it be if 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 we start celebrate? Like you celebrate it yourself, but also like within your world which sounds like a weird thing but I was working with some swimmers I said like why don't you just like all wear a red swimming costume when you're on your period and then when when you have it like you go yay like amazing we're doing a great job and it was a bit of a weird thing to do but it's like how cool would it be if we were like oh like we're doing really well like we are strong resilient women because and our bodies are not shutting down and that and that might be way off but we do need to celebrate like the, the signs that our bodies are giving us that we're doing a great job. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is a celebration. The fundamental purpose of a woman is to give birth to children for the survival of humanity. And so that period is a sign. Yes, you know, you've got the energy, you survived, you you ate all the berries, you're able to do what you need to do. And also so interesting, the point with Eilish McColgan. And I think it is so important to acknowledge some people can look like the stereotype and be healthy. Also, someone who looks like something which is completely not the stereotype they might they might also be performing exactly the same and that is healthy to them. And I think when, as more people have confidence in fueling themselves properly and we start seeing a greater variety of body shapes, it will fuel further confidence in people being like, yes, it's fine. We can see now yeah. that everyone can perform well. Yeah. And so I think something else to just kind of pick up on briefly that you said a, a little while ago was the with the row and the 10 bananas and the 50,000 crumpets or whatever is the idea that she was eating so so much more but not gaining the weight that she expected but if you think about that in almost reverse the amount more that she was eating you would have thought that not eating that knowing that she required it would have meant she was consistently losing loads and loads and loads yeah. of weight but yet she wasn't so she, that phenomenon she wasn't I think it's something that people are probably a lot of people might be afraid to try eating more. But, you know, what's your response to that? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, that example you give is because her body had stopped working, hadn't it? It stopped menstruating. It would it will have stopped doing the things that it could get away with not doing, which is why their calorific intake would have um, would have. The, the reduced calorific intake wasn't le- leading to like loads, you know, loads of weight loss. And she does. I don't know, and I'm just guessing that she'll have still been eating lots because she's a rower, but she just wasn't eating enough. So she was doing enough to do her training, and but she was. It meant that she'd have been exhausted. She'd have been tired. Like her hair, you know, her skin and her hair and her bones. Her bones are being depleted. Like her hormones weren't working as they should. So all of that takes energy. So the body would have stopped doing all of that because we don't need to reproduce, which is why that's the first thing that goes. Which is why that's the vital. That's why the menstrual cycle is the vital sign because it shows that everything's going really well. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to say that, like, I um, I used to be a high jumper. So before I started rowing, I was I was a, a track and field athlete or a, a field athlete. And I was that classic. Um, I was reasonable. I wasn't outstanding. I was reasonable as a teenager, kind of did, you know, um, uh, English schools and all that kind of stuff. And then um, never got in, never got international vest, but kind of was, you know, did did all right. Was really committed. Went to university. And that classic moving away from home, moving into a new system, being around people who 
seem to be much better than me and training much harder than me. And I was like, oh, like this is how you do it now. So that's that's what I started doing. Um, my performance started deteriorating. So I started doing more. I started doing more training, harder, eating less. My period stopped. My period stopped for two or three years. Um, my coach was obsessed with me being nine and a half stone. I'm six foot. Okay. So I, he, he was like, every week, are you nine and a half stone? Are you nine and a half stone? I'm like, no, I'm not. But that that seemed to be all that mattered. And so that was, and then I went into rowing. So like, you know, I am actually, my physique is as a rower. My physique is not as a high jumper. I was good enough as a high jumper, but I was never going to make it to the top level because actually I'm too big a build. And I just wanted to pick up on the Eilish McColgan thing. Like for me to look like Eilish McColgan, I would have to starve myself. Like there's no way I could ever look like that. That is not my body type. I am a rowing, I'm a rowing body type. I'm a, I'm a strong, powerful woman. But I was, you know, I, I kind of picked the wrong sport. Like athletics was going to get me so far, but not far enough. And that's, you know, and that's a conversation to have, isn't it? And I think we have to be bolder with athletes and say, actually, you're only going to get so far. And that's just because of the genetic lot you've been given in life. And it's not your fault, but your health is so important. We're not going to compromise that for the sake of you jumping a centimetre higher, which is going to make no difference to your to, to anything in your life at all. But actually, the consequences could be really significant. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. And these things are truthful. But health ultimately is the most important thing. You know, how is how is your body ultimately different to, you know, you don't go in and go, oh, no, my VO2 max isn't big enough. I mean, you can't change it. It's set. That's just how life works. And there's always many other amazing opportunities out there. And sometimes you know, you you don't know what's there until you have no. to go find it. And I think, you know, you mentioned bones and hormones, nice rhyme there. And I can say, I know I get a lot of a lot of data from this podcast. Everybody loves red S and menstrual cycles. You know, if you're listening to this, know that this is what everybody wants to hear about too. So this is something that people want to want to hear more about. You know, I think a lot of people are in the stage where they know what it is, they know what the signs are. What are some of the most successful ways you've seen of people moving out of having red S or taking action to avoid getting red S? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not an expert in reds, but uh, from what I've seen and from the people that I've talked to, like, it's not easy. And it takes, you know, if I think about myself, like when I was back in that place, I was... I, my whole identity was being an athlete. That's that's what I did on a Tuesday and Thursday night and a Saturday morning and like, a you know, Monday night circuits. Like, I like, if I don't do this, like what else am I supposed to be doing with my life? For someone to say, okay, we need to stop training. Like you need to, I know that, you know, people that work with Renee McGregor and, and the likes of that, she just takes them, she takes them out for three months. Like one of the, one of the ways of doing it is like, right, we need to stop exercising we need to eat we need to change your relationship with food and that that is psychologically huge and significant so this is not an easy gig um and so i think that if you are in a in a red situation like you absolutely need to get like professional help and support to kind of help you navigate that space in terms of um in terms of um preventing it i think you have to be you have to be really self-aware and I don't think athletes are really self-aware. Like I know that like having been a high performing athlete and now not being a high performing athlete did any sense of the word, like my self-awareness now and is so different. So when I'm an athlete, when you're an athlete, whether I was track and field or rowing, like you tell your body what to do all of the time. Like, so you are saying, so it's saying you're tired, you wake up and train. You're saying you're in pain, you push through. It's for me, for when I was rowing, it was telling me I'm not hungry, I had to eat. Like it, it's, it's, you're not self-aware. Yes, I was self-aware of injury. I was very good at that, of like picking up on the niggles and I go straight to the physio or the massage therapist or whatever. I was all right at that. But in terms of my health, I was, I had to shut it down because I'm like, I, I literally have to control this. So for you to be aware of like reds creeping up like that is a tall ask we have never really that that is a we've never really integrated health in sport it, it it's a huge challenge um but i think it's for me like so i know now i've kind of i know 
having a healthy relationship with my body, with food and with exercise is like non-negotiable for me right now. But I'm 45. I've got two children. I've been an international athlete. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody anymore. Like I'm kind of done. Like I'm, I, I've got everything that I wanted to do. And I'm like, I'm all, I could, so, but having that healthy relationship. And if I sense I'm, I'm a no risk of rest, but if I ever sense that, oh, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, um, it's your mindset, isn't it, around eating? Like, how how do you look at dinner? How do you look at breakfast? It's like, I know what I want. I know what I'm going to have for lunch. I'm like, I really want that. That's what I want. I'm not denying myself that food. And if I ever kind of, if I ever kind of sense those creeping thoughts coming in, that for me would be a, a red, like a red flag. And I would attempt to kind of like check myself. That is a really, really big ask. A really big ask of athletes and people that are committed to their sport because we're re- they're really bad at it really really bad at it and I um yeah so I think it's just having that really giving yourself permission to have self-awareness and act on it which um is not easy (laughs) yeah definitely it's it's so it's such a false kind of economy almost as an athlete you feel very healthy very in control very on it but actually is it healthy I mean it's not normal to train that much you don't see any animals in the wild randomly pushing themselves Mm. to their limits it's definitely not normal And I think an interesting thing to some extent is calories, you know, calories, counting calories, being aware of how much energy you're putting in your body. There's a lot of stuff around, no, 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 don't look at the macros, don't look at the calories. But my personal opinion is that it can be useful to have an idea of what you're eating. I'm not saying weigh anything, but if you're consuming a lot of fuel and huge amounts in, in running or any sort of performance sport, you you kind of need to know, okay, right, I've just taken out a thousand calories. Where the hell yeah. do I find a thousand to yeah. put in? Yeah. And and I think you're right. And it's the but it's it's there's a difference between information. That's information that you're going in and you can cope with and then becoming totally obsessed and trying to control it, isn't it? And I think you're absolutely right. Like and, and it's it's you know, you can we can track everything now, can't we? Like with so many devices to track everything. Doesn't it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's that um it's how how are you how do you manage that information whether it's your sleep quality and quantity whether it's your rest you know recovery heart rate like how are you, how do you not get fixated on that and and keep abreast of the bigger the bigger issue um and i think that you know you need you need to be able to talk to people and help and have people within your i hate it when they say talk to people in your team because really nobody has a team unless you're kind of like on the team like it's that kind of like but really get trusted what you need wise sensible people like around you that are like I I know that you know when I left sport I I had to do a lot of work to kind of like readjust to kind of like um normal life when I finished rowing I um I had to do you know it was hard it was hard moving away from a, a system and an identity but I kind of surrounded myself with like they were all women but wise women that I was like I didn't want to be like them, but they were like, they were, they were probably 20 years older than me. And um, they had a job, they had a family. They, they kind of got, they weren't like ridiculously successful. They were just, but they were just a wise pair of hands. And I thought, and we all need that. We need that wisdom that can just see the bigger picture um, and start, you know, as opposed to kind of getting really stuck in that minutiae. Oh yeah, definitely a hundred percent. And I, I can relate to what you're saying. I was at university training as a runner athlete, took a year out, did placement, didn't compete at all, just trained on my own, doing my own thing, kind of finding my own enjoyment with sport. And to be honest, I haven't even brought in a membership for my university athletics and I'm I'm not going to, because to be quite honest, I think it takes away from the fun. I'm much happier on my own, just doing sport and hanging out with friends for social reasons where I do social activities. I don't need running to be a social thing anymore. It's just something to break up the day and something I enjoy mm. doing. And yeah, yeah. It, it is such a shift in mindset. It's it's almost so easy to get caught up in what everyone around you is doing. It's so normalized to do such unnormal things, have such strange relationships with food, with exercise, which, you know, is part of the nature of being an athlete if you if you want to make sure you're doing everything correctly. But it's just not normal and it is difficult it's a difficult thing to to move on from. For you, what would you say were kind of the key things that, I guess your key reflections on having made that transition yourself or anything that you might have done differently if you were to go back? Like, so I was, I'm old. So I was at university a long time ago now. And um, 
I really, I would love to think that if I was, if it was now, someone would have picked me up. Like someone would have hopefully picked me up. Like I didn't, um, I wasn't anorexic. I didn't look so thin, but I definitely lost significant amounts of weight. I was, un I was underperforming. I had no menstrual cycle. You know, I went to the doctors. They said it was normal. Um, they, my coaches weren't interested. Like it, but, but no one knew. And I would really hope that now someone would say, Baz, like, this this isn't right like you need some help and I would I'd really hope that that would happen um in terms of what I would do personally um yeah I, if, I, I don't know like how how good could I there's still that like you know it's the same what I've just quoted from that rower that was like she was really worried about putting on weight I'm like how good could I have been if I'd have got the health bit right like would I have actually jumped lower or would I have jumped higher? I, I don't know. I don't know how good I could have been. I know as a rower, um, you go into rowing and it's a very, very different, a very different situation. Like, of course, there are people that have problems with food, but but you have to eat a lot. The the body type is Amazonian, and the 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 kit that you wear is so unsexy, and there's nothing sexualized about rowers whatsoever. Like, you know, it's not like runners where you have to wear pants and bras. Like, it's kind of like it's a full-on skin suit um so there's nothing really that like you just wear it like there's nothing exposing about it and for me it was a very very healthy environment for eating like it was a very healthy environment and I was just like actually if I want to get on the British team I have to sort myself out like I have to do it um so I did and um but on reflection I think that bigger piece would be I really hope someone would have picked me up like because I think that um I don't think I was strong enough to do it myself yeah Absolutely. And that leads me to something which I think is the next area of action. And it's having the conversation. So the other day, I remember I was in the showers and I saw someone who looked, quite frankly, skeletal. And I thought to myself, you know, you have the thoughts. It's like, well, you know, maybe there's a reason. Maybe I shouldn't. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go over because if there's a yeah. reason, there's a reason. And if there's yeah. not, maybe I'm helping someone. So I went over and I had this chat with this random stranger. I was like, you know, I said it. Well, were I you naked at the time, or had you put your clothes? We, you had, swim, in the shower? we had swims costumes like, on, okay, so uh, you know a bit, a bit of coverage. And I had yeah. this chat, and you know she didn't say loads. She seemed okay with it, and I walked away, and I was like, hope that was the right thing. But you know what? At least maybe I've helped someone. And a few weeks later, she found me. She sought me out. She came over. She's like, oh hi hi. I just wanted to say thank you so much. I'm eating four thousand calories a day. I want to be strong. I want to be healthy. I feel so good. And it's like, okay, that was the right thing, but. Yeah. I think there needs to be more knowledge, more guidance around how do you have that conversation in a sensitive and effective way? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. So I've, um, I'm doing a session at a university on Monday evening um, with a bunch of athletes and I've got the questions have come through. And one of the questions is, I know my friend's lost her period. Like, what do I do? And it, and And it's that, you know, they might be all right, but it's the concern that you have for your friend. And I think that... Um, it's it's things it, we have to normalize conversations around any aspect of female health and so that when it be, be, and not just address it when it's an emergency situation like now that's not going to help people that are in emergency situations but generally speaking you should be having beginning of season talks you know within the season talks cut like um, you know boxes in your changing rooms with like people to ask questions and you get expertise on to kind of just say we're just going to talk about this all the time like all the time we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about stories that we've seen on the BBC we're going to talk about podcasts that we've heard like challenges that we're seeing like and what does that mean for us so we're just normalizing the conversation so I think it's just good to create a really good base but then when you've got a specific um a, a specific issue I you know you and you feel really strongly like I just think brilliant like I've had you know situations in my life and when a and if a friend has come up to me is like Baz I'm a bit worried about you like and and if if they've misread it you just go no like honestly I'm totally fine or if they're like you, you're not offended I'm not offended I'm like no honestly I whatever issue they think I've got I'm like I'm either no honestly you've read it wrong this is actually what's happening but if they're right you're like yeah you're right like I'm really it, it's shit and 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 that's all you need but you probably the problem I talk about I, I you know athletes I, being in that downward spiral it's really easy 
to go and um, to ask for help and get everything sorted and be all bubbly and nice when you're in a positive space. As soon as you go into a downward spiral, either with your anxiety or stress or mental health or like physical health, PBs, time, when you're in that downward spiral, like the barriers go up, the shutters come down, you're like, like, I'm not talking. And you, you give off that vibe of like, don't come near me. To have a friend or someone to come to, to be confident enough to come and help is is really hard, but that's what you need. When you're in a downward spiral, you need someone to come into your space and offer help. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And if someone takes offense, you've hit a straw of some of some sort. So something is going on. Okay. And so I guess we've come to the end of our time now. So thank you so much for coming on, Baz. Thank you for sharing your expertise, your thoughts, so much knowledge, so much value for our listeners. And for anyone who wants to go further, reach out to the Well HQ, engage with some of the amazing resources and discussions you're having, where can they head to? Um, the Well, I always get the website wrong, the well-hq.com. And we've also written a book, uh, which I think all your athletes will feel, find really, really interesting. It's a Sunday Times bestseller, published in five languages now, which is quite exciting. Um, and it was, and it's called The Female Body Bible, and it covers a lot of the stuff and more stuff that I've uh, covered today in a very, very practical way. So that would be a really good place for you to go to get more information. Awesome. And I'll be linking those down in the description below. So be sure to check that out. Thank you very much, Baz. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much for having me. Thanks. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, be sure to rate, subscribe and leave a review. This really helps to get the content out there and I want to make this podcast the best possible for you. So go follow Fitter Faster Happier on Instagram. That's Fitter Faster Happier to leave your questions, comments and feedback and for updates and guest requests. All the best for the week ahead, guys. Run happy, live happy, be happy.